0: This is new Media. Hi there everyone, I'm Chase Raz and this episode of Multinew Media is a little bit different. I'm recording on October 1st, 2017 and the episode will release on October 2nd, 2017. I'm recording just one day before the release of the episode and that is not a normal part of our production process. And I'm also going to be going solo for this episode, which I've done before, but it is quite a rarity. So I hope that this plays out well for us, but I, I, I really feel an obligation to focus on the topic at hand today. Now to get to that topic at hand, it's going to be a little bit of a roundabout introduction here, so let's get right into it. Today, my date of recording, October 1st, 2017, is the 35th anniversary of the opening of Walt Disney's Epcot right here in Central Florida. I know no, that's not going to be the topic of this episode, but it's part of it. Star Trek is back on television and trying to return to its roots as a storyteller about the human condition. But that's also only part of the story. Elon Musk still wants to get the hell off of Earth and get on to Mars. Bill Gates is leading initiatives in eliminating malaria and educating the world's children. And we start putting all of these things together and we see a theme. Things like solar, bitcoin, and blockchain coming together to form a new type of market for energy. But, before we get too positive here, there's a whole other side of this coin. Technology and entertainment merge in this episode more than our normal focus on business. But, before those of you who are diehard industrialists and capitalists reach for your phone and shut me up, let me say that you're the audience that needs to stick around the most. The casual multimedia listener already likes all of these topics, and despite fatigue of hearing about them in public, welcomes the show as an opportunity for more information on those matters and as a chance for some private introspection as you're sitting at their cubicle or driving, uh, listening to the show driving in their car. That's how I am when I listen to podcasts, and that's most of our listener base. It's the go get them, burn in daylight type of business people that need to stop, pause, not, not the show. They need to pause themselves and tune into the show, listen up, and find out what's going on or you're going to be absolutely lost in the upcoming years. Now, we have all of this progressive futurist entertainment and, and, and edutainment on one hand, and we have the most cynical, negative, and xenophobic conversations happening simultaneously within our culture and politics. And that's what this show is about. Not the positive, not the negative, but why are these two things happening simultaneously and what does that mean for business? I don't want to be another voice pontificating for things I think about a particular issue. No, I'm not talking about any one of these issues. I will go through them one by one. But my job as a corporate trainer, as a university instructor, as all of the things I do, all of the hats I've worn from working in corporate America to small businesses From working with startups to working with universities, the exposure that all of that has given me to provide a unique insight of where do we start steering our businesses based on this really interesting landscape that's around us. Now, I'm not going to get too preachy about whether you should or shouldn't believe something unless it's fact. If you want to deny climate change, that's off the table. (laughs) You can still listen, but you're probably not going to like any of us myself or multimedia listeners. Right? So if if it's an opinion-based thing of, you know, whether you like somebody's bravado or not, well, everybody's welcome here. But we're going to talk about the facts of where does business need to go based on this interesting landscape that we have. It's not just futurism as opposed to racial and nationalist ideas. We also have things like the president of the United States at this moment and I'm not going to harp on this for a long time, so if, you're, if you've got fatigue about the whole U.S. political system, just, just for a moment. The president of the U.S. at this moment in time is under heavy criticism for demeaning the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, which was devastated by two back-to-back Category 5 hurricanes and most likely won't fully recover even within a year while he himself is golfing on his own golf course and delaying the mobilization of federal responses. Now, I'm going to be talking about political systems. Of course, it's a part of this show, technology, entertainment, politics, as I mentioned in this episode, they're going to come together, but that's as much as I'm probably going to say about Donald Trump, the person, because we want to look at the larger phenomenon of what's going on politically uh, in the U.S. and globally. It's my job as host of this show to make sure that you understand without any doubt that these seemingly bipolar happenings in entertainment and politics, the the wildly progressive optimism for the future and the wildly negative pessimism about right here and now are not unrelated and they're not unimportant phenomenon when we're considering not just these issues on their face value but the impact of business here and now where the pessimism lies but also For shaping our entire business landscape in the future in the next decade or so, where that optimism seems to be lying right now. You must, and I mean absolutely must, for the sake of your business, for the sake of your professional development, understand that it is technology driving all of these situations and fueling whether it's the optimism for the future because we know what will be possible. We're starting to understand the tools and creations that we can bring into the world, or fueling fears in the minds of those who are beyond arm's length of control. That leads to this dogged, heel-in-the-ground resistance of quite literally insane proportions. Hating people, hating cultures, hating technology. If you think these things are not going to play out on the markets in the next several years... They're so deeply ingrained in the psyche of not just Americans, but every citizen technologically enabled across the globe. If you think these aren't going to play out in the markets, you're probably missing a good portion of your understanding of how business works. Politics is the entertainment branch of industry, or at least that's what Frank Zappa said. Plato said, one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. And one more quote for good measure. Stephen King said, we've switched from a culture that was interested in manufacturing, economics, and politics, trying to play a serious part in the world, to a culture that's really entertainment-based. I don't view that as a negative, but it certainly has some connotations that we need to address today. I'm going to take on these issues. I'm going to take them one by one. Only the issues that I presented so far. I'm not going to add any more in. But I'm going to go through them at no particular order and help you walk through the relevance they have for your professional life. I won't be giving you any information on how to one-up all of those who think differently than you in the next little bit of a social spat you have over dinner or at a family meeting or I'm not preparing you for arguments over Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's not what this is about. What this is about is how do we navigate the landscape and make the right decisions at the right time. All right, the first one of these issues that I wanna tackle, and I wanna get this out of the way quickly, is the US presidency, this Donald Trump thing. And again, I don't wanna focus on him because that's not the purpose. We're looking at markets, we're looking at business, and I'm not gonna keep saying that over and over. So understand where I'm coming from as I talk about this. We have a president that was going to be, no matter who was elected, I mean, you have to go back to the Republican primary, actually either parties, Republican or Democratic primaries, in order to get the possibility for someone who wasn't going to be the last baby boomer ever elected to the presidency of the United States. If it's not the last baby boomer, This president right now, no matter who it would have been, would have been the last U.S. president decided in major part by the baby boomers here in the United States. The boom in the population that occurred after World War II. This was the last major say. They can no longer outnumber the millennial voters. This is a transition From one generation to the next. Not to belittle the baby boomers. Not to say that they're not important. But it's a generational transition. They made a stand. They made a position. And in in all honesty. My prediction had been. And I was wrong. That the millennials would have swayed this election towards another candidate. We're looking at the transition from one generation to the next. And it's important to understand that generation. The idealism. That happened in the 1960s and the absolute refusal for the generation prior to the baby boomers to allow it to happen. You know, speaking of presidents, I could have, should have, (laughs) would have been. Al Gore wrote about this and wrote about this in his book called The Future. I think that was published, I want to say around 2013 or so. Talked about the conservative elements in the 1960s and how they positioned with brand new conservative private law schools, putting money into the community in order to sway people to be conservative. Pushing an entire generation that way. And the person who was the architect of it all, and you can get Al Gore's book if you want more on it. I just checked it out from my local library a while back. But the the person who was the architect was appointed to the Supreme Court by Richard Nixon. We had a last stand, whether it's the literal last stand or not. We had a last stand of a generation who is often called Generation Me. Now, I love the baby boomers, but we do need to look at this. When they were born, a post war society, a post global war society, two superpowers remained. They lived in one here in the United States that banked on markets that gave them everything from, you know, drive up restaurants with car hops that wore roller skates to Disneyland itself. When they were young, it was about family and and speaking of Walt Disney from earlier in this episode. We'll come up again later. Disneyland was created so that families could come together, spend time together. And they, as children, the baby boomers got Disneyland. And as they grew older, they tackled civil rights. They tackled defeating the draft. They increased college enrollments. More people got access than ever before. As they got older, the markets catered to them. By older, I mean in their 20s, 30s, 40s, not older, older. But when they did get older, 60s, 70s, the conversation as even back when they were in their 40s and 50s, the conversation politically started to turn to Medicare and Medicaid, retirement, the entire world. And then this is no offense. This is this is not a negative. This is just a statement of what happened in business and in politics and and. um Economics, quite frankly, because it was such a large population in one of the two world's leading superpowers, which remains as the only superpower technically today, unless you go by nuclear proliferation, in which we have a whole bunch of us who can wipe out the planet. But you have an entire generation that the services and the benefits of an entire, the most powerful economy ever have been nothing but catered to them. No wonder No wonder you can get votes for retirement issues and retirement health care, but damn if a 20-year-old can have health care sponsored by the state these days. You see the point here. This is a generational transition. I'm not going too far out on a political sidestep. I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, even if you're a Donald Trump supporter. I'm not saying anything you don't know by saying that the generational transition that happened, that generation chose an unexperienced former billionaire playboy who's all about me, me, me. It makes sense. That's just a statement of fact. You have to look at what it means, why did it happen, and what is the result that we'll face in the future. And here's what it is. Politically, the baby boomers are going to, and it's not just the baby boomers who I'm not, I'm not ignorant to the fact of looking at, at voting populations. I'm not talking about what won Donald Trump, the, the election over something else. I'm talking about this one specific issue as it relates to us. But the, the impact of the baby boomers will do nothing but wane at this point, their ability to pass legislation in their favor and the US House and Senate will decline. Baby boom populations will still have large amounts of control in local and statewide elections here in the United States. But their abilities to, to focus on their own primary initiatives, they're only going to start decreasing. Now, they won't be gone overnight, but this is the type of thing that happens when you have a major generational shift. That's it. Put it in perspective. You're going to get a 70-year-old-ish, plus or minus, no matter which way you go. Which one do you choose? They chose the one that was most reflective of the generation itself. The millennials in the same situation would probably choose a super creative but not quite effective person if their stereotype holds true. Baby boomers are me, me, me? Millennials, the 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 personification is... They're creative, lofty dreamers with without the ability to translate that into action. I mean, as, an, as a teacher of some of them, I say, yeah, I, I see that, but I don't see that as everyone. But then again, not everybody in the baby boom generation is me, me, me. The baby boomers chose the stereotypical personification of their own generation. Of course, they got plenty of help from Gen Xers and from some millennials. Look at your retirement accounts right now. And I mean, really, go go pause the show for a minute. Go look at your retirement account. It's probably up. Why is it up? Let's talk about why it's up and why it's up so much right now. One of the reasons that your market account is up right now or your retirement account is up is because the American system and you can do this if you're uh, not an American, too, unless you're in an area that's impacted by depression for some other direct cause, your retirement account is probably up. Because the resiliency of the American system shown itself that as Donald Trump, this this loose cannon, was elected, it did not destroy our democratic republic. That fact right there with a couple of bubbles, a bubble in housing, bubble in a couple of other places as well right now, the return of the derivative markets, which I'll leave that to you to decide whether you think that's good or bad. But the fact that the House of Cards did not crumble is one of the primary reasons your accounts are up right now. It's not because Donald Trump did anything to the economy. It's because the American economy, for all it's good and all it's bad, pretty much works. And you know, I'm even putting too much credit there into the U.S. presidency. It's not that the election of one person didn't crumble the system. What you see in your retirement accounts is proof of optimism in the future because of the resiliency of the system to overcome Major divisions, almost straight down the line, a major division between what we'll call two halves of the country. Now, I know there are a lot of other players, but let's go back to this Disneyland thing. Right now, as I'm recording, Epcot is celebrating its 35th anniversary, October 1st, 1982, they opened. And of course, it's a theme park that took two other ideas, this world showcase idea where cultures could be brought together. In this future world idea to illustrate the future of the planet and smash the two together. It's a great corporate statement on the fact that the global future, the democratic capitalist global future relies upon globalization. And that's true. I mean, there's so much political chatter out there about how globalization is good or bad or this or that. We, We just know. I mean, it's called economies of scale, people. Globalization is, is real. These quote-unquote white nationalists, whatever the hell they think they that means, whether you're an actual nationalist for a nation or, or whether you're a racial nationalist or any other type of nationalist, that idea is very 19th, 20th, early 20th century and is outdated. Our economies, our markets will not thrive to the level we need for the comfort level that we are enjoying and that developing countries are getting used to enjoying. Without globalization, it will not happen, folks. You want to go backwards? Stop dealing with other countries. You want to go forwards? Let's integrate the economies of the world. I don't know how far you need to take that. Don't start reading into that statement. But we need to work together. Imports, exports, trade. Epcot's idea goes... Much earlier, though, and it's not about a theme park. Walt Disney, speaking of the idealism of the 1960s and this possibility of progressive change, we're we're talking about Walt Disney, who testified, throwing supposed communists under the bus in the U.S. He believed in a progressive vision of business and industry. A guy who'd go straight along with the U.S.'s witch hunt of communism believed so much in progress for business and industry, that he planned an entire city around it, what would have been the city of Epcot. It wasn't to be a theme park, and many of you know this story. I know a lot of you uh, are familiar with the Central Florida area since we are a Central Florida show. The idea, though, wasn't Walt Disney's. It comes from a gentleman named Victor Groon. Now, you may know Mr. Groon from the development of the shopping mall. And in fact, I'm looking back at my bookshelf right now because one of my prized books, one of my prized reading possessions is the book, The Heart of Our Cities, that Victor Gruen wrote about how this Epcot type, what what we're now calling Epcot type, community would evolve. The picture on the front of the book is almost identical to what Walt Disney took as a blueprint a couple of years later in the mid-60s, closer to his death, around 1965 when he was working on the Epcot project. We were, of course, going to get theme parks here in Central Florida because that's what it takes to get investors on board. Show us that you can take what you're making money doing and that you can apply it somewhere else and then move on to the next thing. That was a requirement. But what Walt Disney was trying to do is fulfill the promise of Victor Gruen's vision of the future, of how we can build better communities that are wholly integrated without having to rely on communism or some other political system and to a degree without even having to rely on any other type of economic system such as socialism i mean this is a big deal when you have such a a red-blooded american as walt disney talking about the future of business and innovation and taking victor grun's idea to the next level what's happened since I, it surprises me the number of Americans that don't understand that not only did Epcot get turned into yet another theme park. And by the way, that's not a negative thing. Epcot is my favorite theme park here in Florida or anywhere. But what Americans don't seem to know, some some of us do, some don't. But what Americans in general don't seem to know is that this idea that Victor Grun had and that Walt Disney was espousing never happened and the number of Americans that go to Walt Disney World's resort right here in central Florida and love to tell stories of Epcot and all this knowledge they have of it and what it was supposed to be. And they love to, I mean, go to Epcot and listen. Just sit and listen when you're doing your people watching. And they say, oh, do you know what Epcot stands for? And they all exchange that information. And, oh, do you know what it was supposed to be and what the people movers were going to do and all that stuff. But what they don't understand is it's not some failed idea from the 1960s that died with Walt Disney. India has planned commercial and industrial parks. Saudi Arabia has planned commercial and industrial parks. Uh, the UAE has planned in industri- Southeast Asia has pl- how many times, you know, what I, I need to list different countries in different regions to get the point across that this is just something that we as Americans prior to my birth, but we uh, with American birthright, we're on the leading edge of we had our finger on the pulse of this. We were ahead of the curve. And because one person died who had the unique vision to try to make it happen, and because, of course, his company needed to do exactly what Apple's doing now post Steve Jobs' death, instead of inventing new things and charting new territories and being that creative force that they they always had been, save for the time that Steve wasn't with them after he was ousted from the company before he was brought back, but that same situation is what happened with the Walt Disney Company. They doubled down on what made them money. Theme parks, movies, you get the idea. Now, we do have some planned communities, right? And I'm not talking about your, your super HOAs like Poinciana, Florida, or even Celebration, Florida, which was, was founded by the Walt Disney Company. But we do have some communities... Um, Some out in the Southwest that I'm familiar with, but a few here in Florida that are starting that are essentially the residential portions of what would have been an Epcot or a heart of our city in Victor Grun's terms. We have these developing, and I'm familiar with one in in Pasco County, Florida, where they are building homes, have... um, they have sort of a central pond that circulated through the buildings for cooling to offset cooling costs, solar panels on the roof, electric vehicles, and this whole package as part of research is being subsidized and sold to young families in order to test the concept. They have integrated healthcare in the community. They have integrated shopping, so they're absolutely in no way possible can become a food desert. But you look at this and it's it's sort of for the upper crust, the mid to upper middle class Right? Because anybody above that, of course, doesn't need the subsidization to, to achieve those things. But what about us as human beings? When do we get that optimism coming in? And so it's almost bittersweet as a Floridian when you talk about, you know, the Walt Disney Company celebrating an anniversary of the Epcot Park, what used to be Epcot Center, because it's kind of like, well, we have a beautiful park. It's wonderful. It's one of my favorite destinations in the state. I spend more time there than I want to admit. But at the same time, it's just a theme park. It's in no way, form or fashion, living up to the ideals of what it was supposed to be. Other countries surpassed America, which is fine. We don't have to have American nationalism. But at what point do we take the the research and the, the advancements that other people have made on this topic and bring it back home? That's my question. We don't have to outdo anybody. But if somebody has a system and it's working better than ours, our geez, our hybrid system that goes back well over 100 years and hasn't changed much, why don't we adopt it? At least in small portion. Do our own testing. Let's see how it works. And like I mentioned, I do know that's happening over in Pasco County right now in Central Florida and a couple of other places throughout the United States. Now, the entertainment component of of this is a lot easier to see and won't take nearly as much time after we've gone through these heavy-hitting topics of politics and economics. So, with Star Trek coming back, you start to get these questions of how often do we need to revive or bring back a franchise? Do we have a lack of new storytelling vehicles? I mean, when we do talk Star Trek specifically, this will be the seventh television series in that franchise, if you count the animated series. So for those of you who say, no, it's only six, you're forgetting the animated series. Um, But this will be the seventh television series. And they've had, let's see, uh, 13, if I'm counting correctly, total movies. And that's the idea of how much more do we need? But here's the thing. As human beings, we're looking for meaning making. We like comfort. That's why we like comfort food. That's why we like watching the same movies and television shows over and over again. We like what we like. And so if you can have a familiar universe, right, the sci-fi term universe, if you have a familiar universe and you can tell new stories and relate to the human psyche in new ways then it makes sense to bring back a franchise. And this is one of the reasons that ABC is looking at bringing back Roseanne for a limited run in the 2018 year. It's not just a cash-in on here's an old franchise. We, we see that happen all the time. And they they typically flop. And yes, that brings up those questions of who green this and why. It's not just that some old franchise from the past is beloved and therefore it'll work. You have to be able to make meaning... Out of the stories that you're telling, you have to be able to create a connection. And Roseanne is a perfect, I mean a perfect fit for that right now. We have a large question in the United States of what is going on with lower to middle class America, white America especially. People who work hard day to day can still barely make a living, who are trapped in the cycle of debt, who vote maybe for or maybe against their interests, who have limited opportunities because of the economic situations they find themselves in, whether that's because of a lack of education, whether that's because of geographical location, whatever that is, you can't get a better vehicle than Roseanne. I mean, think about Roseanne Barr herself for a moment. She's run for president how many times under a third party? I I, I mean, I know of at least two. Don't forget, by the way. And if you say, well, that's just stupid, that's just crazy. Don't forget that the president of the United States right now, Donald Trump, did the same thing in the 90s. He ran as a fringe third-party candidate under the Reform Party. Right. So bringing this vehicle back of Roseanne, of Star Trek, of whatever, isn't just revitalizing franchises to cash in. Of course, profits the initiative of a lot of these businesses to increase the value of the company and to increase the value of the holdings for their shareholders. But in order to do that, you have to make meaning. I talked about Elon Musk wanting to go to Mars. I talked about Bill Gates and Melinda Gates working uh, with their Gates Foundation to cure malaria, to fight other diseases, and to really bolster global education. And those aren't individual things that we need to break out and talk about one-on-one. It's more of this idea of this is where the world is going. No, we're not relying upon billionaires setting the direction for us. But we are relying upon individuals taking a leadership role and stepping up and moving towards what you know is correct. We see that same thing happening in a cross-disciplinary way with the use of solar technology, Bitcoin, and blockchain. Go ahead and search in any of your favorite news search providers, whether it's Google News, Bing News, whatever. Go to a news search and search for those terms together, solar, Bitcoin, and blockchain. You'll see what is happening right now globally, is that companies are aligning to put solar technology in the hands of communities and individuals to then empower through blockchain the following of the creation of that energy and where it goes, how it gets transferred on the grid, how it gets bought and sold to understand the economic value and the supply, by the way, the, the, the supply value of the electricity and then to use Bitcoin to quantify the exchange of these things. We're almost creating what would have been a black market for energy, but right out in the open. It's not a black market anymore. It's the future of energy. Localized production relying upon a grid as a backup system. Same thing Elon Musk wants. Going to Mars as a backup system for Earth. More land more po- uh, to, to increase the population. More resource diversity. If one planet gets wiped out, a better chance at survival. It's so what Bill Gates and Melinda Gates want people to be happier, healthier, educated, a lower chance, a lower likelihood of wiping our one planet out, better resource allocation and utilization. That's the direction of our planet. We see that. It's not just been presented here in this episode, it's presented to you every single day. Look for the meaning making. Look for the counter position as well. Look for where people are digging their heels in. Technology is automating a lot of jobs. Therefore, people are worried about jobs, jobs, jobs. And that's been the case for years. It was originally for outsourcing. But now in the countries that we outsource, we're replacing even low-wage positions with automation. Which means we can bring automation right back here to the United States or any other developed Western nation that has an expensive labor pool. None of these issues that we face are so complex that they can't be tackled. They may be uncertain. They may be ambiguous. But they're not unsolvable. They're not unmanageable. You want to bank on the future. I'm not going to give you investment advice, but we're going to talk as if we are. We're going to talk about what you're going to mentally invest in in the future. Whether you do fiscally or so is your own choice between yourself and your broker and your investment strategist, and whoever else you have as a part of that team. But what do you mentally invest in? Renewable energy? Absolutely makes sense, because we're faced with the threat of climate change. What about the big companies trying to work and block it? Trust me, they have access to some of the greatest scientists in the world. If you can find oil in sand, miles under the ocean, you understand how carbon dioxide works in the atmosphere. Sequestering... Lying, manipulating, lobbying, all of those things come as a part of maximizing your shareholders' value. Is that right? Ethically, probably no. In business, that's the way we've created the system. Solar, wind, hydrothermal, all great bets, mentally. What about nationalism? Whether that's racial or actually national. It's a bad bet. Why? We see that the the people who are espousing this are the ones who are digging their heels in. They're the ones who are anti-globalism. But we know that globalism is required for the strengthening of our democratic capitalist systems. We know that. No question. People are adverse to change, especially when they're at arm's length, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, from being able to enact or influence that change. One of the best things you can do in your life, if you want to translate the meaning of this entire episode into your daily practice, your daily profession, is find a way to communicate and empower people to have some level of control over the outcome that you are tasked with creating. If you build homes, ask people what they want in their homes. How should they be laid out? What type of... of comforts do they want? Where do they want to be Spartan? Let people decide that. If you're a dentist, ask people what the end result should be. Not just taking in tooth health and oral health and all other things that you take in as a part of your practice, but ask the person in front of you what they see as an end result of a cleaning or a filling. If you make software, don't think that you're going to make the absolute best damn piece of software that's out there without getting direct input from those who are going to use it. Yeah, sure, you can add some features in. You can say, look, I'm really going to surprise people. I'm really going to, if I'm that dentist, I'm really going to do an extra level of cleaning that you don't even know about that's perfectly safe and healthy. If I'm a software developer, I'm going to give you extra functionality that you're not even asking for because I know it's possible and I know you're going to love it. And sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. But the best thing to do right now is to find ways in your daily life, in your professional life, to simply empower people, bring them into the fold. Make them feel connected because they are. Have them serve as a part of the process. Now that should be enough. I should be able to stop there, but I've got one more thing to say about it. If you really heed this message, and if you understand why it was so important to bring in politics and economics and entertainment into this conversation to set the stage and you look back over a several dozen year history, a several hundred year history, several thousand year history and see the forward progress of our world. If you see that, if you can get over the hang-ups of things change and that it's sometimes uncomfortable, then you get to the core of this. And it's something that in business we call human centered design. People are at the core of everything. If you don't have people as a part of your process, you don't have a process. So here it is. Here's the actionable item. We have a situation where the forward progress of the world is very clearly seen and known. We also have a situation that gives us a generational change. And it's the largest generational shift that we've known in modern times. It's the largest generational shift that's ever happened in the largest economy that's ever occurred in a time when we have the largest population that the planet has ever known. Now, the United States also has the highest population it has ever known. We have more people transitioning generationally at a time when we have a major technological transition as well. We know in the social consciousness that we are less and less and less responsible for work. We have machines that can dig for us. We have machines that can automate some of our mundane thinking tasks. There is a a societal concern of what happens when machines can think for us. Now, we don't even know when or if or how that's possible. But it's good enough to suffice right now that we know a lot of our thinking can be outsourced to computers, even if they're not intelligent, even if they're not sentient, because a lot of our decisions as human beings are taking in multiple data points and choosing the appropriate course of action. It doesn't take sentience to do that. It takes analysis. And when you have a computer that can calculate billions or trillions of items per second, multiple variables that you and I could only keep track of by using paper or computers, then why not outsource it? We have this unique position that's never been seen before of a major generational shift in a major economy with major populations beginning to need to shift because of climate change and the success we've had, while the technological success that has driven that is making us question our own relevance. If you've ever wondered why now feels so economically and politically and socially charged, the United States, is still, no matter what we say about it, no matter how far we fall behind on some issues, we're still at the epicenter of this very concept, of this very happening. We're not alone. We're not the only ones going through this. But this is a lot for our species to handle. And when you in your business, no matter how big or how small, no matter how much you can impact in this scenario, when you can include people into the process and make them aware of not only how you're performing business, but what you're doing for them, what you get out of it and how it fits into the larger picture, that's the social consciousness that's becoming social intelligence. We're craving that subconsciously. We're able to handle it because of our technological developments like the internet and computers. It's the next wave of humanity without having to alter one bit of DNA, without having to augment ourselves with one bit of technology except for the external technologies we already have. And if you can't take that abstract philosophical position and relate it back to your business, I'm ultimately concerned that you're not ready for the second half of the 21st century and that your business... Once it survives, you will not be ready for the 22nd century, that your kids and your grandkids will not be able to benefit from the market value that you're creating right here today. People must be included in the process in the way that people function best in the sense of meaning making and connectedness. And with that, I'll leave you to figure out what that means for your specific business. But here's the thing, you're not alone. I don't record this show just to talk. (laughs) I can talk into a microphone and never publish it just as easily as I could publish it. I do this show because I want to connect with you. And I know that even when you don't reach out and talk to me, I know that we make a connection ideologically, philosophically, and in terms of our passions for business and technology. If you are at that intersection where you feel like you're about to make a breakthrough, that you feel that the words that I'm saying, that all of the concrete and abstract topics I've brought up all intersect with your business, your discipline, but you're not sure how just yet, let me be that mirror. Let me be that sounding board for you. Get in touch with me or the show co-host, Chris Ayers and Christopher Woodward. You can reach all of us at feedback at multinewmedia.com. You can go to Multinewmedia.com and click on the Episode 83 page and fill out that comments box at the bottom. You can head over to Facebook. You can head over to Twitter. We're Multinewmedia on both of those. Reach out to me. Reach out to us. Let's form a connection. Let's Let's make meaning in our own daily lives together. This may be the end of Episode 83, but it can be the start of a larger conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.